Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Curtis. Our child, who will remain nameless for reasons that will soon be obvious, is apparently a criminal under Illinois Title 32, Chapter 2, Subchapter B, Protocol 422.130E. This is the Launchpod for Pomona Valley Church. Thanks for joining us once again on the Launchpod. We came home the other day to find red tags on all our outside doors, telling us about the radon test that was going on as part of the inspection because our house is being sold. They threatened us with all manners of prosecution and civil penalties if we so much as opened a window. Not that we would. It's freezing outside. And then the next morning, as I was getting out of bed, I heard a, what's this, daddy? And came out to the living room to find one of our boys pressing every available button on the radon detector box. It beeped, he said. So, he may be going to jail soon. We don't know. I'm not actually clear about the purpose of a radon test. Yeah, from the from the 30 seconds or so of Googling I did, it seems like it's a radioactive gas that seeps up from decaying rock through the foundation of the house. That or, sounds bad. Or something. All I know is that we are not supposed to run the bathroom fans until the test is done. All right. Well, moving on. Last time on the Launch Pod, we talked about the quality of the internal community at Pomona Valley Church, how we want to cultivate the one another's, and how they might be fleshed out in our life together. In this episode, we want to turn our attention toward the outside. How do we hope Pomona Valley Church will relate to the broader community around us? We have said we want to equip people to joyfully and sustainably live the one another's, neighbor well, and do justice. And today we want to talk about those last two pieces— What does it mean to neighbor well and do justice? And how will we equip people to do those at Pomona Valley Church? There's this famous story in the Bible when a man comes up to Jesus and asks how people ought to live. And this man's an expert on scripture, so Jesus knows it's basically a trap, and and he turns the question back around. Well, what do you think? And so the man answers, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and mind and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yep, sounds like you got it. But the man hadn't gotten what he came for, so he presses on with with another question. But but who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. One way to read it is Jesus is saying, whoever you come across over the course of your day is your neighbor. He's pointing out that the man's question is off base from the beginning, because rather than trying to limit the scope of the love, kindness, and generosity that we offer, which is what the man is doing— asking, what's the smallest set of people I owe this to? God is inviting us to expand that scope, to make it unlimited, in the way that God's own kindness, love, and generosity are unlimited. We want to be a church that brings love, kindness, and generosity to all we might come across over the course of our daily lives, whether they, you know, quote-unquote, deserve our neighboring or not. However well we do at living the one another's, like we talked about last time, However good the community that we build together, if we walk out the doors and drive like a jerk, tip poorly, disrespect the humanity of our coworkers or employees, make money by cheating people, something isn't quite right. The love that exists within our community ought to spill over into the way that we live our daily lives. We aren't, we aren't saving it up for a special occasion or only offering it to special people. We included these two topics together because we would make the case that they are two sides of the same coin. Loving our neighbors, the people we encounter in the course of our day, it's often expressed by doing small things with great love. But as we do that, we often see that there are also great challenges that impact someone's life. And when those come from systems and structures that are unjust, 
then the way I love my neighbor is to try and do great things. Like dismantle those systems, create pathways that restore someone's God-given dignity. In some small way. And these two themes are all over the Bible. And the church, maybe especially the white evangelical church, has been pretty bad at it on the whole, both in both in acknowledging and repenting where we are complicit to the injustice and in then being a part of the restoration that needs to come out of it. It's also quite complicated because of systemic and structural layers that come along with injustice. What we will talk about today is such a small expression of something that we would like to just be a regular part of our church conversation. Right. We want to be a church that asks, what are the small things we could engage in regularly And what are the large things that we could play some small part in addressing? So we would say that loving our neighbor and doing justice are linked. And we'd love to dive into each on today's episode. So let's start with loving our neighbor. And like we did in episode five, we'd like to share some stories of how we've been impacted by this. Now, loving our neighbor can express itself in a host of ways because we come across people in all sorts of different ways over the course of our daily lives. So it might be connecting with your actual literal neighbors, the people who live in the houses or apartments next door to you. It might mean that you become a regular at a business, your favorite coffee shop, your favorite diner, and you get to know the staff and befriend them. It might be how you go about doing your work, the way you interact with the customers or employees or bosses. And it's going to mean that you look at your family and you see that those people are your neighbors too. Maybe the broadest category, it might just be the incidental interactions, the people you just run into over the course of your day. Whatever the context, we would say that there are shared themes to being a good neighbor. The first one is noticing. Loving our neighbors often starts with noticing them. Our next-door neighbor, we don't actually know by name, and I don't believe that they know our names, which is kind of odd only because we have a pretty decent connection to our neighborhood. But we have pretty different schedules, and we just really haven't connected with them quite as much. Our next-door neighbor also has something magical, a snowblower. We don't. So one morning, we heard him clearing his driveway, and the sound got louder and louder, and we realized that he was right outside our bedroom window. And he just kept going, and he cleared our sidewalk. In a way, he noticed us. This was one of the storms that dumped this huge amount of snow and would have been a bear to shovel. Sometimes we just need to ask, am I really seeing people? And when we see people, it often leads to something else, to listening. As we go about our lives, we love our neighbor by being sincerely curious about them and really listening to them, listening to their stories, and in time, with with trust that develops, their struggles. And that helps us know how we could neighbor, how we could bless them in the midst of that life that we hear about. A couple months back, I met my friend Marianne at one of our favorite restaurants, and it happens to have famously cute mugs. Is it one of our favorite restaurants? It's one of mine. Okay. There is a glut of uh, breakfast places in the Midwest, or at least in the Chicago suburbs. You can throw a rock and hit a pancake house. Yes. But Uh, I like this one. Okay. And they have cute mugs. And we were checking out, and I realized that they had the cute mug in pink. It made me really happy. And I just blurted out, that's the mug I need whenever we move, because it's like a perfect little symbol of a lot of things that are good here. It represents meals at this place with people I love. Pancakes. And pancakes. So fast forward, and one day I find the mug at my desk, and there's a card, and she has written really kind words to me. She just listened to that offhand comment. And listening well to people is not only a gift in itself, it it offers us ideas for how to better love that person, be a good neighbor, moving forward. The other part of listening, of course, is to God. 
It's asking God if there is something that God would have you do to serve or bless someone else and being open to where God leads. And sometimes it's going to be small. Sometimes it's going to be something bigger. Yep. It's not always something as small as the mug, although that was a great example of putting listening into action. This idea of listening reminded us of a time when we first got out of grad school and we were in our first jobs together at a church in California and we were getting to know our team. And one of our now best friends, Allie, was sharing with the group about something she was about to be praying for and wanted us to pray with her. She said that an opportunity had come up where she might join a team to travel to Russia. And immediately the whole rest of the group who knew her had this audible response of going, oh. And then she went on to explain who else would be on the team. And as she named these people, you could watch the rest of the group emotionally react in a really positive way to the other people that would be part of this trip. And so we were kind of listening along as she shared this and committed to be part of praying and listening to God on her behalf as far as whether or not she should go. Maybe a week or so later, I would say, we were in the car driving out and Curtis and I started talking about Allie again and what she had shared. One of us said, I think we should pay for her to go. And the other person said, I was thinking the exact same thing. We don't have a lot of moments where we just have an unanimous, quick sense that God is asking us to do something, but we do want to pay attention when they come. And so we met up with Allie and said, we believe in what God is doing um, in your story with this trip, and we would love to be part of it, and we would love to help make that happen. It was the beginning of an amazing friendship that has blessed us in tremendous ways, that stemmed from the listening to her and listening in community and listening to God all collectively so that we could love her well and be a good neighbor. And we know some of these stories are relatively simple, but they're also significant. They made us feel seen and cared about. They made people that we love feel seen and cared about. In many ways, when we say we want to love our neighbors, we mean that we want to be a church that joins together to say we want to practice real face-to-face connection. And we want to see the people around us and ask, could I bless you in some small way? We want to be curious, consistent, and kind to the people we encounter. And as a quick note, this isn't about moralism. This isn't some sort of, can't we all just get along? This is instead, to borrow from Father Greg Boyle, kinship. It's an expression of the belief that there's no us and them, only us. And that leads us to what's, in a sense, a special case of loving your neighbor. And that's how we react to instances where our neighbors are being harmed because of external or systemic forces. But first, I don't know if you know this, Meredith, but we heard from two more people this week saying they wanted to know, what's Curtis reading? Really? Oh, really? The people wants to hear about it, Mayor. This week, Curtis was reading an oral history of the making of the movie Office Space, For people who are not roughly exactly our age, (laughs) Office Space is a movie that came out 20 years ago, so we were late high school, early college kind of thing, and it it didn't do a lot at the box office, but then it became kind of a cult following. It was one of those movies that basically everybody in your college dorm had watched, was watching, watched with regularity. Or if you're me, never watched, and yet I still know some of the quotes because I've heard them so often. (laughs) So just to be clear, this is not the best movie ever made by any means. It's very much an R-rated movie. But 
it was one of those movies that was just part of the cultural conversation when we were of a certain age. And I thought one of the parts that was particularly interesting was uh, they were talking about how they cast the lead actor, who was basically an unknown at the time. The studio really wanted Matt Damon or Ben Affleck in it because they had just done Goodwill Hunting and they were really big. But it didn't make sense for the lead character of this movie, who is just basically an anonymous office worker who's in this dead-end job. And a lot of the actors who came in to audition, they played the role as if it was, this place is terrible and I deserve better than this and I'm going to get out of here. And he wanted the attitude instead to be, actually, I'm kind of lucky to have this dead-end, anonymous, terrible job. And he said, it makes the fact that I don't like it all the more depressing because I don't think I deserve any better than this job. And it was just an interesting picture of the office culture of 20 or so years ago. And so speaking of things that are systemically detrimental to people's humanity. We can get back to justice now? Yes. All right. That was what Curtis read this week. Great. Now, justice in other ways. Greg Boyle had the quote that we just mentioned before Curtis's reading. There is no us and them, only us. Justice comes in when we realize that they aren't just being hurt. We are. So just as a little background, the words that our Bibles translate as justice and righteousness actually share the same root word. And in contrast to how we often think about justice in the 21st century in the Western world, biblical justice is primarily a relational concept. It's not legal or courtroom-based. So justice is about people. It's about things and God all being in right relationship to one another. Instead of like, you are guilty under the court of law and must be punished or rewarded or something like that. It's about relationships. And injustice happens when one party breaks that right relationship, whether by exploiting another person or exploiting creation or abusing someone or not giving another person what they deserve. So the flip side is that biblical justice and righteousness are when things are then restored to their proper relationship. And the things that have been broken have then been mended to work as they were intended to work. And I think that this process of, of doing that is very similar to how we were talking about neighboring. It requires us to notice and to listen. Exactly. We were trying to think of a story that we could share from our own lives. And one of the things that was tricky is that your awareness of injustice, I think, sometimes grows upon you almost like the sun rising. All of a sudden, you see everything differently, but you're not totally sure if there was a moment that changed your perspective. Nevertheless, we did have a season early on in our ministry time where we were serving at a church that had a partnership with a neighborhood in Los Angeles through a ministry called the Dream Center. And if you're familiar with the LA area, you might know the Dream Center. They are the nonprofit arm of Angeles Temple, which is a church down in Echo Park. And one of the things the Dream Center does is a Saturday uh, program called Adopt-A-Block. Various teams head out into a variety of neighborhoods around LA to connect with the people who live there and to build relationships with them. The strategy is to be in the same neighborhoods every single week consistently. And then through those relationships to notice who's in the community and to listen to them so that the whole city can be blessed. We began to be partnered in a neighborhood called Pueblos del Rio, which is in the South Central part of Los Angeles. And it is a public housing community, one of the larger ones in LA, with about 10,000 residents. And our main uh, facilitator for that relationship, our guide from the Dream Center, was a guy named Alfred. 
And he was a huge gift to us because one of our very first weeks bringing our youth group kids from the suburbs down into the neighborhood, he said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And it wasn't because we were going to be so helpful and we were going to do so much. He said, I love suburban kids. And I thought, oh, well, that's a relief because our suburban kids can bring some suburban temperaments. They're very suburban. And he said, I love suburban kids because when I grew up, I didn't have a lot of support and I didn't have a lot of money and I felt alone and I had a hard time. And now I think, oh my goodness, these kids have everything and there is so much available to them. They have so much money and they still feel like I felt. That must be so hard. And his compassion for that um, way of living was so sincere and it cued us early on to the fact that Alfred saw this relationship not as one where the suburban, uh, largely white group of youth group kids would have to be managed while they tried to help or save the neighborhood. He saw reciprocity, that he knew he had something to offer and something to bless us with, which we were incredibly grateful for. So we spent at least one weekend a month going down, usually two, and we got to know the neighborhood relatively well. And that was one of the great things about the program is that there was a consistency of going to the same place, seeing the same faces, meeting the same people um, over and over again. And it really allowed you to start noticing and listening. Um, And so we really tried to do that. We tried to encourage the kids to do that as well, that they would get to know the people who lived in this community Mm -hmm. that was very different than where they lived. Because it's one thing to imagine that this is a way to do community service in some abstract sense. It's a totally different thing when you begin to get to know Miss Helen and realize that she loves nail polishes and pedicures and that you can bring along your favorite shade and do your toes together out on the lawn. It's a totally different thing when you realize that you get to know Doña Cristina, who lives on the corner, and that she will always offer you a restroom if you happen to need it because you're out for the day. Now, one of the ways that public housing is unjust is that it is less conducive to community formation. The National Institute of Health actually has a research paper that walks through the social implications of experiencing poverty even if a person has their basic physical needs technically met. And as we listen to the people in the Pueblos del Rio uh, neighborhood talk about their desire for more connection and more celebration in their lives and in their community, they said that they'd love to have a Memorial Day cookout. Memorial Day was coming up, and, and we were in a position to help facilitate that because our church had a bunch of large grills and a big old trailer that we could use to transport them down to the neighborhood. And we had some budget for buying food. And so the wonderful thing about it was that this was their idea and their dream to put on for their neighborhood. But we showed up with these few pieces that we were able to help with and basically faded into the background of their community party. We cooked, we We're able to bring the ingredients and such, but it was our friends that live in the neighborhood who invited their friends, who made sure people knew to come out. They were the ones who drove what the menu should be. And on Memorial Day, we actually made the mistake of not bringing enough onions and cilantro for the carne asada. So for Labor Day, we made that. We fixed that. Yes. And brought a whole lot more, which even that was a point where we listened to what the neighborhood was saying. Ultimately, what was wonderful about that season for us was that the residents of that community welcomed us with so much grace and gave us the chance to build real friendships together so that we could be a small piece of blessing their neighborhood. 
And as we look forward to Pomona Valley Church, we want to cultivate our ability to notice and to be curious and to listen about the issues of injustice around us. And that will elicit a variety of responses. It might be supporting frontline nonprofits. It might be using our voting power or engaging with our local government about more just policies. It might mean that we continue to learn to question and dismantle our own privilege, or we put ourselves proximate with people who are marginalized. But we want to consistently be growing this way individually, and then sometimes we'll respond collectively and communally uh, to some issue that comes up as as we listen and notice the community around us. That's a response that we will be discerning together once we get going. It's one of the things that we're especially excited to create once we get started. That's where we're going to wrap up for now, knowing that a lot more can be unpacked on these topics. We will be back next time uh, with an episode that unpacks and goes deeper into our five values, the the characteristics we hope will mark our way of being as a church. Also, if you haven't checked out the Rhythm of Life tool that we put out this week, it's on Meredith's blog, meredithannmiller.com. And the episode before this one walks through how to use it. And that tool is also built around the values that we'll be unpacking next time. As always, we'd be grateful if you shared this podcast with someone who might be interested in exploring this kind of church, wherever they live. And if you haven't yet rated and reviewed the podcast, we really appreciate you doing so because it helps other people find it more easily. So you can find show notes on today's episode and that Rhythm of Life tool on Meredith's blog, like I said. And you can always reach out to us as well at PomonaValleyChurch at gmail.com. We really would love to hear from you. Until next time, we love you all. Bye. Bye. Bye.